When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Anatomy of a Fall. I need you to be precise. Tell me everything. Yes. I don't know what happened. I think it fell off the third floor. The window's open. The autopsy report is inconclusive. An accidental fall is going to be hard for us to defend. That's why there's an investigation for a more suspicious death, because you were the only person there. And of course, you're his wife. Stop. I did not kill him. That's not the point. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Anatomy of a Fall, and the story is as follows. Sandra, a German writer, is arrested for murder following her husband's death in the snow under mysterious circumstances and tries to prove her innocence during the trial. The film is starring Sandra Huller, Swan Arlo, Milo Mikado Grainer, Jenny Beth, Sadia Bataib, Samuel Thesis, and Antoine Reinertz. It is directed, it is written and directed by Justine Triet, and it is co-written by Arthur Harari. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Dan Baer. I don't know what you know about me, but y'all think I just killed my hubby. <laughs> I have not been able to not hear that song since seeing this movie it might be quite honestly the most memorable use of a piece of music in a movie i've seen this year truly yeah i'm not kidding everyone uh, 50 cents pimp <laughs> the instrumental version <laughs> incredible anyway anatomy of a fall had its world premiere at the Cannes film festival earlier this year where it won both the Palm Dog Award and it also won the Palm Door, the coveted major prize of the festival. Going over to Justine Triette, who uh, is now the, what is it, third woman to win the Palm Door at this point. And she has done a couple of other movies before this. Uh, I think some of us might have seen uh, her previous film, Sybil, in 2019. Uh, and here, though, this is like really, truly like a real breakthrough mainstream success for her and also to for its star Sandra Huller who's been getting best career reviews for her performance in this movie it instantly got a tremendous amount of buzz out of Cannes and thus Neon picked it up for distribution and it's been making its way through the fall film festival season since then uh, Dan you just recently saw it at the New York Film Festival which is where I also rewatched it but it also showed at Telluride it also went to Toronto and now it is finally 
finally out in theaters for people to see it. Uh, I believe right now, currently in New York and L.A. from Neon. It uh, famously uh, now did not get France's selection for Best International Feature Film. But as we will discuss here in our review today, there is enough merit in this movie that it is contending in other categories and may not necessarily need that selection to do well at this year's Oscars. But before we get to its awards prospects, let's talk about the movie itself. Dan, <laughs> after all the hype and all the buildup to this movie, you know, months ago from Cannes, what did you ultimately think of Anatomy of a Fall? So I will admit it was a little tough to get into at the beginning, but I think that's absolutely on purpose. The constantness of that song in the soundtrack and just like repeating that melody over and over and over. It's it's a little tough to get through, sure. But once the murder happens or the death or however you want to call it happens and we get into the investigation and then especially into the courtroom i was blown away i don't think i've ever seen a courtroom drama that is as morally murky as this that is so focused on not necessarily the truth of this trial, but like the truth in capital letters. <laughs> the, the way that this uses perspective and the way that it withholds information is so well done. I felt myself while watching it just constantly questioning, you know, the truth of everything that I was watching on screen, which can be a dangerous thing for a movie to do because, you know, we, we have to believe in something or else we're not going to become, you know, invested in it. Right. But this does, <laughs> this manipulates us so well that that becomes the point of this movie wants us to question what is truth and how we can have different perceptions of the same events and how much we can never really know the full truth. And it's, it's absolutely stunning. And Sandra, you at the center of it, like, Oh my God. <laughs> wow. And aside from that great, great child performance a great dog performance this movie has everything that you want in a courtroom drama and then some it is a challenging watch at least in the beginning but it is so rewarding this is actually uh, probably one of my favorite types of movies. Mm. I, I love crime films, especially a anything that deals with the nature of a crime. And here we're not only dealing with the uh, an analyst, um, analysis of what possibly might have happened uh, with this death here. Was it murder? Was it an accident? But we also then dive into the courtroom drama aspects, and then finally the movie starts to reveal itself as something even deeper than that, and that is actually the dissection of this marriage between these two people. And you start to uncover that the truth, as you're alluding to here, Dan, is actually far more 
murkier than one might think, and we can never really fully know the truth sometimes. The private domestic lives of some people are so well hidden and covered up that how they present themselves to the outside world is vastly different than how they are behind closed doors. And so the movie attempts to unravel that in a way that I just found to be so methodical and gripping. It was like the kind of storytelling that one would get from an HBO miniseries spread out over four or five episodes, but it's condensed to this two and a half hour package that moved at such an electric pace. And also, I thought really fully gripped you from beginning to end, especially considering like I I kind of agree with you that in, in the very beginning, yeah, it's a little... I don't want to say tough to get into, but you are kind of trying to understand like what the movie's getting after. But as it goes on, I just think it keeps getting better and better and better because you think that the movie is going to reveal to its audience what ultimately did happen. But its magic trick is that it lives within that gray area and it never gives us easy answers. Thus, when it's all over and you walk away from it, you start having a discussion with people about what they think Sandra, the character, also played by Sandra, the the actress, (laughs) in this movie, what she may or may not have done involving her husband's death. So I've had so many conversations with so many people about where this movie ultimately ends up (laughs) that for the sake of, you know, spoilers, I do want to say that if you have not seen Anatomy of a Fall, I hereby give you permission to shut off this podcast. (laughs) Because Dan and I are going to get into it right now. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil it for anyone if you don't want to be spoiled. So this is my warning to everyone. If you don't want to be spoiled about Anatomy of a Fall, please shut this off. Go see the movie. Come back. Re-listen to our discussion here. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dan? Mm-hmm. Did she do it? <sighs> do you want my real answer? I've got my answer. So yes, tell me yours. My real answer is it doesn't matter. <laughs> like that's not the point of the movie. Like they they literally they literally has a character say it in the movie. She says, "Stop! I didn't kill him." And her lawyer friend goes, "That's not the point." Speaking of which, uh, Vincent, her her friend who actually ends up being her lawyer in this, uh, uh, Swan Arlo. The Silver Fox. What a what a, <laughs> a like a performance that yeah, I understand this is a Sandra Huller movie. I, I totally get that. Like she is the focus of this entire film. But the supporting cast in this, particularly three three members of the supporting cast. Actually, no, four. And no, you know what? Screw it. Everybody, including the dog. Everybody is phenomenal yeah. in this film. The the dog, I mean, the most deserved palm dog ever, maybe. So much so that I legitimately thought that during the scene where uh, Daniel, the son, yeah. tests this aspirin trick on the dog, thinking, "I'm not gonna lie, I, I, I did not, I didn't know what they." 
did for real and what was fake. And I had questions about did they really put this animal in harm's way? Turns out the answer is no from various interviews. Uh, but that's a hell of a trained dog to be able to pull off that level of yeah. um, dog acting. <laughs> I, I really got emotional. I really thought that that dog was going to die. Seriously. <laughs> it Incredible. Incredible dog performance. Yes. But to your point earlier, though, yes, uh, Vincent has that line where he tells her and the audience, too, mm-hmm. whether you did or didn't kill him, that is not the point. It's all about how others are going to perceive. Yeah what you did or did not do. And so she then has to present a version that, once again, we don't know if it's if it's a lie or if it's a truth. And as the movie goes on, it, it gets really interesting when a USB recording of an argument that she had with her husband Samuel mm-hmm. gets released to the court. And we hear basically within this entire argument – a snapshot of what was at the heart of this marriage and the dissolution of it. And so here's a guy who feels that he's like essentially living under her rule and he has no say Mm. in how they live their lives. And she's counter countering him at every turn that basically his misery is his own doing. And like, essentially like he's made his bed. Now he has to lie in it. And so he should not be complaining about the life that he has. It's very complicated because it has a lot to do with their son and his uh, optic uh, accident that he had, which uh, has rendered him partially blind, I believe, but like majority so. blind, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And also the setting. They're uh, living, I believe, in the, uh, what is it, the French Alps, right? Yeah, that's what it looks like. Basically in a little chalet. Right, and she's, she's, uh... I can't remember. Which, she's German and he's French? Yes, she's German and he's French. I think she says specifically Grenoble. Yes. But I don't know if that's where they live or where she's from. I don't remember. But they're but they but they compromise by both speaking English in the same in the same house. Yep. And she constantly makes a point of saying that I moved here to your childhood home. I left yeah. my life in London for you. This is not what I wanted necessarily. So I guess because of that. Their workload is also unevenly divided where he feels that he's homeschooling uh, Daniel and she's not really doing much other than taking him back and forth to school. His career as a writer has definitely suffered as such while her career has taken off and also, too, off of some of the basis of his own abandoned ideas on top of that. So he feels emasculated by her. Uh, but but she doesn't see anything necessarily wrong. She feels that he's done this all to himself. And while you're hearing this argument play out, like it really does an amazing job. Like the writing here is phenomenal. Where I think we come in with our own preconceived notions of who we want to believe. But the more you hear this argument, you go back and forth, and then you kind of yeah. walk away from it, saying, you know what? I- I'm not choosing a side here. I I don't know who to go with actually to you know it's like yeah and, and that's the thing like most courtroom dramas they really come down hard on a side like this person definitely did it or definitely did not do it or like maybe they did it but there's not enough evidence right and here it just really embraces the fact that like you know what some cases we never get to find out what happened what really happened because it's ultimately it's these people's lives and we're just we're just voyeurs in the courtroom 
basically, just hearing these little pieces and little snippets. We're not there with them 24-7. We, we don't know. We cannot know what happened unless someone actually does confess and, and say that they did it. There, there's another line um, late in the movie where um, a journalist is talking about the case on television, and he says that something along the lines of a, a, a writer – murdering her husband in a way that's like similar to one of her books is just more interesting than a teacher killing himself. And that's why they kind of like believe that she did it. And I thought that was so fascinating and so telling about what the movie is kind of about how we come into these trials with these preconceived notions, right? And how it's not necessarily about the facts. It's about what side has the better story a lot of times. Here, here's something about the idea of him killing himself. I think the movie does a really good job of putting forth all the arguments as to his mental state of why he would want to kill himself. Mm-hmm. But then I do have to ask the question of from that height, from that window, <laughs> I would not be thinking that this fall would kill me unless if I deliberately hit my head on the side of the um, right uh, the, the 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 piece at the bottom right which is which is ultimately what happens to him yeah. and he has that laceration and the blood force trauma kills him but like am I deliberately like trying to do that no I'm probably just hurling myself out of the window and hitting the snow on the ground but then I just don't think that fall would kill anybody. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, they have, and they have the bringing like the blood blood splatter experts, which those presentations were fascinating. Oh yeah, I was riveted. I was glued to the screen during both of those presentations. So good, and they don't. Yeah, they don't really get into the physics of it's just sort of left unquestioned that like yes, this fall would absolutely kill this person. But I think that you could like you know if you really wanted to kill yourself. You pitch yourself out of that window in a way where, you know, your head is pointing straight downwards and you're going to just completely crush it. I mean, yes, but also, too, what if it's also maybe not an attempt to kill oneself, but it's just a cry for help? A cry for help? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm going to throw myself out the window. Uh, I'm thinking of, like, Lady Bird, like, throwing herself out of her mom's car right now. Like, you know, it's right. (laughs) (laughs) Although this is a bit different. (laughs) Which is why, then, the argument of them actually getting into a fight after his very obnoxiously loud 50 cent PIMP (laughs) (laughs) instrumental ruins this meeting that Sandra's having uh, with an interviewer who wants to interview her about her written work. And there's some sexual tension between them, or maybe there isn't. Once again, the movie kind of lives in that gray area, right? Yeah. And... Sandra feels that he's being a nuisance and, you know, goes up and they get into an argument and we never hear the argument or see it. Um, it's actually really well done in terms of it being yeah. kind of shown through the eyes of their son, uh, who actually wasn't there at the time of witnessing it. So because he didn't see it, we don't see it. Uh, but it makes more sense to me. It really does just make more sense to me that she would get into a fight with him and maybe by accident, maybe from a push, I don't know, but somehow, some way, she does contribute to his death. Now, here's where things get really interesting now. Mm-hmm. So this is where I fall, no pun intended, on this, but, um, did she or didn't she? I do believe that she does kill him. Mm. But, and Sandra Huller does an excellent job of maintaining 
the character's innocence throughout, never breaking away from, you know, putting forward a performance that would tell you otherwise. She always sounds so reasonable Mm -hmm. whenever she talks, which is like, yeah, okay, yeah, but I totally believe you. I have two reasons for this. One is um, her performance because she's so because she's maintaining her innocence so, so much. There's also a detachment to that performance in a way that I'm like, your husband just died. Like the father of your child just died. Where's the grief? She's not grieving like like really much at all over his death. Well, then remember there is we have like a year uh, time jump. Uh, Yes. Yeah. And that does happen pretty quick, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. So that was sort of like my rationalization of that. Like she is like in the immediate aftermath. You know, she's in shock, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can, like, kind of, like, get away with her being a little less emotional, especially since she's immediately thrown into, you know, you're the, the number one suspect. <laughs> okay, well, you know what? Then in that case, that's actually a stroke of brilliance on the writer's part then to eliminate that factor. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. okay, props to them for that because that, that just adds more to the ambiguity then. Uh, all right. And then the other thing I would say, too, then, is I just believe from an evidence standpoint mm. that a murder makes so much more sense. Yeah. I understand you can't prove it. I get that. But there's enough evidence there for me to just formulate my own opinion on the matter. Now, if I was like a jury member, I, you know, I would have reasonable doubt because yeah. it isn't actually something that is can be proven. But do I personally believe it? Absolutely. <laughs> but what's really interesting about that, though, is – and this is where the movie, like, really took itself up a notch for me – was it focuses on Daniel, on the son. Yeah. And his opinion on what may or may not have happened. And you see this poor kid, expertly played by uh, oh Milo Machado Grainer. He is wrestling with this terrible decision that he needs to make here, which is he doesn't necessarily know what the truth is. Well, I mean, (laughs) I I mean, at first it's presented this way until he performs the experiment on the dog. Yeah. Once he performs the experiment on the dog, he makes up his mind on what he believes happened, which is his father had this conversation with him after uh, the dog almost died. And he believes that uh, Samuel, the father, was basically referring to himself when talking about how, you know, one day the dog may not be here anymore and you need to, you know, man up and move on from that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And he thinks he's talking about himself, trying to prepare him for when he's gone, like basically alluding to, hey, son, you know, at some point I'm probably going to kill myself. <laughs> Which, <laughs> my God. At some point I'm going to die. Right. So... That's like the justification that he uses then. But I think there's something a little bit stronger here, too, which is that here's a kid who's 11 years old who is uh, majority blind and he just lost his father. If he testifies against his mother, he loses his mother, too. Yep. So now you're 11 years old. Are you willingly going to risk losing both parents? Um, I think that he I think he wants to believe her. Out of fear of losing both parents. Oh, sure. And he, I think, I don't want to say he lies to himself, but let's just say he convinces himself that his version of events Mm -hmm. is the truth. And that's what he's sticking to in the end. And that's why she ultimately gets acquitted. 
Yeah. Well, and so much of this movie is about like how children perceive adult actions. Mm -hmm. There's so much going on, you know, that he sees or hears like, or half hears, but and it, it's it's so brilliant to make him to to make him like um, partially blind, because that's another whole layer of like what is the truth and what does he actually know? What does he actually? What did he actually see? And then also too, there's a scene where they're walking him through the events of mm-hmm. the argument that was had between the two of them in the house. Oh my god! And he first says, you know. It was at this volume. I could hear it. And mm-hmm. then he changes his mind later. And he's like, you know, I was confused. You know, the shock of it all. I don't yeah. know. Well, sorry. Which and I, I've heard uh, more than one person put forward the theory that he's the one who actually killed his father. Whoa. Yeah. Explain that one to me. So, <laughs> so the whole, I, I mean, and it, it's very like, you can make this argument because like the whole first part, like he is the one who finds him. And throughout the whole first part of the movie, we're following the dog a lot. Like that's the actual character that we're following for most of that beginning. And it, it's a little bit of, a lie and like selective showing like we find out only later that he heard this argument that he came back to the house so he's already you know came back to the house that you know he said he didn't and there is obviously something that happened there that we didn't see right so theory is that he comes back he hears this argument and you know has heard them arguing a lot over the years. And remember his father is also largely or mostly responsible for his, his vision problems. Yes. Um, there was a car accident. He, right? he definitely blames himself yeah. because he wasn't there to pick him up from school that day, right. which it's like one of those things where is he really responsible or just wrong place, wrong time. And you have guilt and regret over the matter. Like I, yeah, I, I understand where the father is coming from necessarily, but like, Okay, continue. I just don't believe that the son would hold the person <laughs> responsible. But yeah, let, let, let's hear this out still. But like, like it's another like piece of potential, you know, holding it against him. Uh-huh. So the he, you know, so we do not see him come back, and he, in a fit of passion or whatever, goes up there, talks to his father, and pushes him out the window. Maybe with the help of the dog. Who knows? What? <laughs> so then later, this experiment that he does with the dog. It basically because he realizes this piece of information that he didn't have earlier. And now it looks like, you know, mom could be committed because of the recording potentially. And so he does this experiment with the dog, which why, why would you risk your dog's life like that? There is no good reason. I know, like, like, the only reason why this dog is saved is because the uh, assigned uh, courtroom personnel uh, who's watching over him, Yeah, he cries for help, she comes up, and she <laughs> looks up on her phone. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> How to save the dog, like, in the moment, giving him salt water. He spits up the aspirin. Yeah. And I'm just thinking to myself, kid, what was your plan in case if that person wasn't there to help you? Like, and like, what did you think was going to happen? Because <laughs> remember, he's a smart kid. Yes. Like, they mentioned that multiple times. And, you know, the, the kid is a good actor. Oh, he's easily going to place extremely high on my young actor uh, ballot this year, for sure. Yeah, I mean, 
watching him watch this trial or really mostly listen to this trial, I mean, he goes through it. But the the film is playing around with perspective enough and his perspective is also limited. Like it's just another possibility. I don't know that I fully buy it. No, I don't buy it either. After hearing you put it forward like that, I just like, <laughs> it doesn't add up to me. I, I don't know that I fully buy it. And cause what's the motivation? Is it a mercy killing? Let me put my father out of his misery. Cause I know he's miserable. No, it's to protect his mother. But, but also too, like she's the aggressor in the fight. But then in the other fight that we hear later, like, I mean, it, he slaps her. And this has also been, you know, something that has been going on for years. But doesn't she slap him first and then he grabs her wrist? Is, wasn't that what the testimony was? That, so that's what the testimony is. But I, that one of the things that I love about that scene is we see them argue but we don't see them fight. Right. That's all audio on the tape. And we have to go by what she says is what happened because she's the only person who can tell us. And she has lied about a couple of uh, things too, in terms of where did her like bruises on her wrist initially come from? And she says, you know, if I had said that it would have, made me look guilty and it's like well girl <laughs> now you look guilty you know yeah and then not to mention too once you've established that you've lied at some point or any point during the trial the prosecutor is going to use that against you throughout the rest of the trial yep oh and the guy who plays the prosecutor holy crap so good <laughs> Ant- what is it Ant- antoine is it antoine reinhardt's antoine reinhardt's yeah. uh, oh god he's incredible capital d dick oh my <laughs> <Yeah>. god <laughs> Woo! him and jason clark and oppenheimer this oh, year oh my god my lord yes but like the 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 passion and the delivery, like the way that those courtroom scenes, I think, are so thrilling to watch because of him. I know Sandra is doing some excellent work here, oh too, God, yes. with the subtlety of her facial expressions. But the way he's just like spewing that dialogue is like, oh, my God, like he is drilling into her and it is unbearably tense to watch. Oh, right. It's riveting. All the courtroom scenes. I mean, part of it is just like, you know, like. Compared to what we have in America, the relative freedom of the French court. Oh, my God. It's like watching a piece of theater. Yeah. Lawyers can basically just testify in open court. Not to mention, too, she also has a couple of moments where she interrupts them, too. And I'm like, wait a minute. She's allowed to do that? Right. Oh, it's fantastic. It's so entertaining to watch. And the dynamic between the two of them. Oh, Ugh, it, 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 it's electric, these courtroom scenes. Between this and Saint-Omer, more French courtroom movies, please. Oh, yes. Please. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, I, I, I totally agree. I think he is phenomenal uh, during those scenes. He, like like I said, just dominates that section of the movie for me. I mentioned uh, Swan Ar- Arlo earlier, too, as Vincent. I, I like that there is also a little bit of a wrinkle here, too, because of – how they yes. established that he and her were friends or had been friends for a long time. Yeah. He had a thing for her before she got married to Samuel. Mm-hmm. And it looks like now that Samuel's out of the way, it's kind of like freed her up now to start this relationship with him. And they both seem to be really okay with this. Yeah. To the point that it made me wonder, was he at all right? complicit in this? Right? Yeah. But like they never 
fully go there. No, and there's enough scenes between the two of them where it's just them, and they don't have to put on a show for anyone else, where he's learning all the information from her side and so on and so forth, that it's like, it kind of erases that idea that he might have yeah. had a hand in, in his death, but I'll tell you this much, he's certainly trying to profit off of it. <laughs> like, I mean, am I wrong? Yeah, let me put my, let me put my arm around your shoulder here. Oh, you know, it's it's gonna be okay. I'm here for you. You know, like come on. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of that, <laughs> but the, they never actually like act on it. No, I mean, there's no scene where they like you know have sex or anything like that. But yeah. I I I can tell through her performance, their body language. Oh, absolutely. Like she's yeah, she's totally okay with it. Yeah, I think it's clear they both they both want it on some level, but the fact that they don't also says something about them as people, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like you would expect that if she was if she really did this, she hated her husband that much that she would go for it, but she doesn't. Well, maybe because in the eyes of the public, it would you know. Maybe, who, who's to say that maybe after the events of this movie, it doesn't happen until later, you know, after time has passed and people have moved on from the trial? Yeah, I mean, maybe. But like you said, like there are moments when no one else would see. Yeah. Like it's just the two of them. They had opportunities to like make some kind of advance mm-hmm. and neither of them do. And that could be because, you know, they just like both know this is a terrible idea. Right, right. But also, if she is as, you know, cold-blooded as this act would make her out to be, it would stand to reason that she would also go there. (laughs) Can I also just say, too, the setting of this movie, having it be surrounded by, like, the snow, I love the chilly atmosphere and how that kind of does then match Mm -hmm. how... I'm sure Justine Triet wants a segment of the audience to feel about her and how she's kind of approaching this maybe potentially from an icy cold mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, I, I think, subliminal way of getting the audience to feel one way about the character versus if you had set it in a, an entirely different setting. So I, I really, really love that. And also to the visual of him in the snow with the blood and everything is also a really fantastic visual. Oh, my God. Yes. And they've used it on the posters and on the marketing uh, very, very well here. Yeah. I also just love the, um, you know, we get all these vistas from the mountains, all these just white and the idea of that purity just being completely destroyed mm-hmm. is really powerful. And correct me if I'm wrong, maybe uh, – Maybe I am wrong about this. And if I am, I apologize. But other than (laughs) P-I-M-P, I do not believe there's a musical score for this movie. No, I don't think there is. So that's also another element, too, that I think adds a lot to the tension of this film because there's no other form of manipulation. Yeah. Not saying that score is always used to manipulate necessarily, but a score can – kind of give an audience a pathway yeah. into deciphering events in a, in a way that the filmmaker wants you to interpret. But no, she leaves <laughs> everything open to the audience without that extra added level of manipulation. And that is something that I think has also added to great conversation around this movie because, it, you know, and also too, like I said, the tension, the tension throughout is is really well done. And part of that is also because of the film's editing. Mm-hmm. I 
feel very, very strongly. I think that she did do it. And I think that the sun covered up for her. And <laughs> I think that she has a better life because of it. Um, and on some level, if he really did want to kill himself or or he did feel that his life was really this ruined, she could justify it in her mind as putting him out of his misery. Mm-hmm. And that's how she lives with herself because of it. Well, I mean, she's also able to live with herself because, you know, she got away with it. Sure. <laughs> and is now free to live, you know. However she wants, she can talk in her own language again. She can live where she wants. She can write as she wants. She can have whatever relationship with her child that she wants. She does stand to gain a lot from his death. But to me, given everything that the movie is about, I feel like it's too easy that she did it. Mm -hmm. You know? No, it's so much better for not giving us the answer yeah. and for leaving it open. The movie is, I, I, I think if the movie had given us the answer, as many of these types of movies tend to do. It would feel unsatisfying. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Now we got to talk about Sandra Huller. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I said, as soon as I walked out of the screening at can, I remember I uh, texted uh, my contact at neon right away and was like, we need to get her in the best actress conversation this year. <laughs> Seriously. Like it, it is just someone in full command of her powers in full command of the screen. She, every little, even the slightest little change in her face or her, the way she holds her body holds so much meaning. Mm-hmm. You looking for any crack in this woman and she shows you so much using so little. There is the big sort of monologue that she has in the courtroom and oh my god it's not even that i think it's actually the scene where she's fighting with samuel that is making all of the points about their marriage and their relationship because prior to that scene all throughout this movie she's actually been relatively calm poised and really um, walking a fine line, right, between uh, the audience trying to decipher if she is innocent or if she is guilty. She's very aware of this. But one thing that she does in her performance is that she never I, – I think I, – her and Justine Triette never, ever, ever pivot away from presenting her as someone who believes that they're innocent. Yeah, She fully, fully, fully believes that she's innocent. She commits to that so much. We as an audience want to think that she's guilty because to your point, Dan, that's the more interesting story. Yep. So Sandra has to give a performance that is fighting against the audience's perception of guilt. Mm -hmm. And I think that she does an amazing job of casting that doubt over us so much so that by the time then we do get to that scene of the argument that's like the first time where you start to see the character like really unravel and crack and she starts getting hysterical and she's shouting next thing you know it's like escalating to a point where you know this argument is going to get violent at a certain point and it's like you then start to wonder is this the true nature of this character is this who she really is and has been this entire time and all of it makes sense all of it from an interpretive standpoint 
However you want to view this movie, she's guilty, she's not guilty, it all makes sense. Everything fits. (laughs) Yeah, Sandra Huller is essentially serving as her character's defense attorney and prosecutor at the same time. (laughs) And it's so great. I, I think this is her best performance to date. I, I mean, like, oh my god, uh, unequivocally. I mean, I loved her in Tony Erdman. Yeah, I really did. She's incredible in Tony Erdman, but this is like a whole other level of performance. The the subtleties she's working with, and her and Justine Triette are just they're so on the same wavelength with each other. Th- this movie implies so much by how long it holds on certain images. Mm-hmm. And it does that a lot, especially with Huller's face and what she's doing, how long we stay, how many moods we see go th- across her face. And she's able to convey so much with so little. It's it's really incredible, thoughtful, powerful work. Yeah, it's an extraordinary can't-look-away performance that grips you from beginning to end. It's constantly making you wonder of whether or not her character did or didn't do it. Not to mention she has to speak German, <laughs> English. And French. And she learned how to speak French for this role. Insane. Yeah, she is so far and away the best at lead actress performance of this year so far. It's kind of incredible. Yeah, she's up there really, really high for me. I, I keep going back and forth between her and a few others I've seen this year, but she's up there. Easily top three for me. Oh, easily, yeah. Yeah, I, there's no doubt about it. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Okay, and uh, I guess at this point, we could get to final thoughts here. Uh, Dan, so is there anything that we didn't mention that you want to bring up or something you want to reiterate? Um, I was really struck by how whenever we get pictures of or images of the audience in the courtroom, that it is mostly women. Ooh, I didn't realize that. Interesting. Yeah, the the audience is in the in the courtroom well i not uh, the audience but you know what i mean every time we get like a close enough shot to see who's there it's a lot of women and i thought that was very interesting and telling as to how the culture sort of would react to this um especially given her place as an author i think it tells you a lot about who the the type of person she is in this world i do have a question about that yeah what do you think is the intention behind uh, Justine Triette and also to her co-writer who also happens to be her, uh, I believe her partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Arthur Harari. What well, like in terms of just gender dynamics and how gender is presented in this movie. Oh my God. Because I've had lots of conversations with people that have even said 
even if even if she did do it and she did indeed kill her husband, like go girl, yeah, you know, it's like, and I was like, hmm, interesting, okay, like I, I'm just curious, what do you think, just from a standpoint of French culture, given that Justine Triette is a French filmmaker, uh, what do you think she's getting at here? <laughs> I mean, oh god, I think there's. A lot. I, I I don't know about French culture specifically. What she was getting at to me seemed more universal than that. I agree. Which um, basically kind of boils down to like people are complicated and we can never fully know them. But I think there is something about like, y- yes, believe women, but 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 also. <laughs> Some people are operating at such a high level intellectually that they can manipulate you into thinking what they want you to believe. It's a lot about perception and how people can use people's perception of them in certain ways, how that can be manipulated. I don't know. I'm not a, you know, feminist scholar or anything like that but it seemed to be something about like it it seemed more complicated than a a simple reading of like yes pro-woman or whatever like that you know i'm not doing a good job of explaining this (laughs) no 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 i i here's here's something that's very important to know uh triette has gone on record of saying that the film was written before the me too movement so this is not written like in a response to that. And once again, like how French culture might perceive that movement. Mm-hmm. As we all know, there have been a lot of outspoken voices about it coming from <laughs> the French. Yes. Uh, but but I agree with what you're saying in that there's a universal element to, I think, both sides of the argument in this relationship here that is understandable to the point that I was making earlier which is that everyone's argument makes sense. Mm-hmm. How it ends with regards to this person ended up ending up dead, I think that when all is said and done, I know you said earlier like none of it ultimately matters in the end because we we don't know what the truth ultimately is. I, I do agree with you on some level, but also too, I think that Justine Triette is using the audience's sympathy and allegiance towards like this character um, and the fact that she is a woman and using like that kind of innate built in belief of, yes, we must trust all women using that to her advantage to then cast doubt and kind of push back against that in a way that is Causing us – it's thought-provoking, right? Because it causes us then to ask questions. Right. But also at the same time, I think that it just creates for a more interesting story dynamic. Yeah, and I think that's the important thing is that like I don't think she's trying to make a statement on you know capital W women. No. I, it, it's about this very specific woman in this very specific instance. And it's a lot about how I think women – and men can get in a long-term relationship, especially when you're two people in the same field. 
Yep. Um, and how that can, you know, you may think that that makes you more connected to a person, but in the end, it can also mean that you have a lot more passionate differences with that. Yeah. I mean, like what we think here is the case of this, you know, procedural for this murder. She ends up becoming the case. Her relationship, yeah. her marriage ends up becoming the real case. And that is the true anatomy of a fall is it's the fall <laughs> of this relationship. Oh, my God, Matt. I'm serious. <laughs> Matt. <laughs> I'm not trying to be cute. Like, it, it's it's there in the text. <laughs> it's an anatomy of a marriage. <laughs> All right. Any other final thoughts here? I f- need to say again how freaking incredible uh, Milo Machado Grainer is as the son, Daniel. <laughs> I, I kept rem- – I was reminded of um, – oh, God. I think it was uh, what Kubrick said about The Kid of the Shining, that like that child was just putty to direct. Mm-hmm. That That's what he feels like. He feels like just Gene Tree was just like molding him into how to create this like perfect performance. Um, I don't know if he is actually – uh, vision impaired at all, but I thoroughly believed that he actually was. So if he's not, like all the more credit to him, and 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 even if he is, although again, all the more credit to him because he does an incredible job in this movie, even outside of that. But again, like how Justine Triet like frames him in a lot of these shots, and how the camera lingers implies so much about what the character knows what they don't know what they're processing in real time it it's so fascinating the the way she makes this movie the how she's able to say so much without actually having the characters talk about what they're feeling it, it, it the visual storytelling level is just on it's so high i love that the camera follows her pretty much throughout almost this entire movie Mm-hmm. There's very barely a scene here where she's not involved, and I love that it is so much a film that is led with character, mm-hmm. as opposed to like yes, there is a plot. Don't get me wrong here, yeah. But her character and our perception of her character is what ultimately makes this movie work as well as it does, and so the way that Justine Triet, I think frames her has the movie follow her throughout she's like i said in almost every single scene i think there might be what only one scene in the film where it's uh from his perspective her son and she's like not in the courtroom right because they can't have anybody else there the scene with the dog oh that too yes 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 um yeah otherwise she's in every single scene of this movie okay uh anything else um no okay uh, for my final thoughts here, uh, French courts are insane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I fucking loved it when he just like brought out one of her novels and just started reading from it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that they were like saying like, you know, OK, this is kind of ridiculous. Like get to the point already. But at the same time, I'm like, really, they're allowing this to happen? Mm-hmm. OK. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. we I, I need a whole like documentary on the differences between the French and the American court system, please. I actually have a question for you. Oh, yeah, sure. 
so because the movie starts and ends with the son, not with her. And we follow him through so much of the movie. I, I was I just got this idea that like maybe the real protagonist of this movie isn't Sandra, but actually Daniel. No, it is Sandra, but Daniel becomes the key to unlocking the truth of the story or truth in air quotes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think there's something so interesting about his character arc, like learning way too young about such adult relationships. Hmm. And again, like sort of, you know, what is truth? What is this movie really about? You know, playing with perception. You think that it's a movie about a trial. Did a woman murder her husband? Actually, it's a movie about her marriage. Actually, no, wait. It's about how her child's perception of her changes. It's fun how it keeps shape-shifting. But yet also, too, remaining consistent yes, in yeah. what it's setting out to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to know what Samuel's playlist looks like. <laughs> I know we only get to hear 50 Cent here, uh, which once again, I remember before this movie came out and I kept alluding on the podcast to how there's a memorable needle drop in this movie. And <laughs> I will say that before I rewatched it at NYFF, they have music play uh, before the movie starts and they were playing this song. And I just kept laughing to myself because I'm like, oh, nobody has any idea. <laughs> I mean, great. yeah, and you have to play it, but like there's no way you could know <laughs> if you haven't seen it before. <laughs> no. Uh, Sandra's uh, breakdown in the car. Oh, yeah. Really, really well done. I mean, you know, I was waiting throughout, like, oh, is she going to have a scene where she, like, cracks and breaks down and cries? And, yep, it happens. But it happens, like, in a believable way to the point that I didn't feel like it was forced. And it was like, oh, here's, like, the big Oscar scene moment. Like, you know, I didn't ever feel that. It did feel completely earned to me because in that moment – She's worried about losing her son and her son's love for her because she's worried that in the eyes of her son, mm-hmm. she'll be seen as a monster who killed their father. And I, I think that yeah. I think that point in the movie where Samuel um, where um, where Daniel basically says, I don't want you here anymore. I can't imagine like as a mother hearing that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, seriously, that would. That would be so scary and so devastating. Yeah. Now, granted, he hasn't made up his mind, but it's like, you know, she's also got the uh, the, the court supervisor present, so she can't mm-hmm. coerce him or be seen as manipulating him into anything. So she just kind of has to take it. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. Oh. Really, really great stuff there. Really, really, really compelling drama all, all, all around. Mm-hmm. I feel like <laughs> – I do feel like I'm forgetting something here, but at the same time, I feel like I've conveyed as much of my thoughts as I wanted to. You know, when they talk about really great, like, courtroom dramas, um, this is definitely, I think, one of them. And Mm -hmm. I I think this is a film that, while it's nothing necessarily new, how it's all presented is so, so well done. It's so masterful in its execution Yeah, that that's what makes it stand out. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people sort of liken it to an HBO 
made like made for HBO movie or yeah. you know something that like it's just you know not as art house as you know you think because it's so conventional and I'm like if you actually look at what the movie is doing and what it's saying it's so much deeper than any of the things that it, the detractors want to compare it to i mean i could imagine listening to this as an audio like podcast series at some point too oh my god (laughs) that's the other thing about this is that this is all original like this is not based on anything which is another credit i think to the level of detail that must go into the characters into the plotting into understanding the french court system like there's a lot of work being put into the screenplay that i think people are just not giving giving uh, enough credit for oh Totally. So overall, I will say that after a second viewing, I did have a grade change (laughs) because when I first saw this at Cannes and when I first wrote the review for it, I gave it an eight out of ten. And my one complaint was, I wrote, some may feel the ground it covers has been thoroughly explored in other stories and mediums before. Mm -hmm. So... After what I just said before this, I do feel that there is more than meets the eye to this story. And on a second viewing, even knowing how it would all unfold, it held up for me so much. I'm giving this a 9 out of 10. I think this is one of the best films of the year. And it is something that everybody should seek out. I don't care if you have an aversion to subtitles. There's a majority enough of it in English. That, <laughs> yeah. like, that shouldn't matter to you. Like, see this movie. For the love of God, <laughs> please see this movie. Also, um, bring back opening credit sequences. Wait, what, wait, what do you mean? <laughs> this, no, because this movie has a really good opening credit sequence where they're showing the, uh, like, old pictures of them oh, and their oh yes yes mm-hmm. and i thought even that was giving so much information about who these people are or mm-hmm. at least who they were and what their relationship was like like you can use an opening credit sequence to tell your story and i think that so many movies just get right down to the point and they skip it and i kind of miss them <laughs> Yeah, or a lot of times it's like establishing shots of like the scenery and things like that. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Sometimes you can use opening credit sequences to fill in a level of backstory and just let the audience trust the audience to know to fill in those gaps. Yeah. I also like too that it introduces us to uh, Daniel's uh, piano playing skills too. Yes. (laughs) Which, you know, given his uh, given his injury, I mean, like, you know, pretty good. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, so nine out of ten for me, Dan. What about you? Um, I I've only seen it once, and like you, after your first viewing, I'm at an eight out of ten. I, I think it's one of those films for me that is almost more exciting to talk about afterwards than even it is to watch it. But and it's so entertaining to watch too. Absolutely. Now, as far as its awards prospects go. You know, at the time when I first saw it at Cannes, I had it in for Best International Feature, Best Actress, and I kind of let it lie there because I was thinking, well, you know, it's early in the year. Let's see where things go. Mm-hmm. And I also was of the mindset of thinking of something like L, right? Yeah. Where that would be contending for International Actress. Right. And a bunch of other international movies over the years I could think of where it's lead performance uh, was also able to get it, but it couldn't crack a picture lineup. Yeah. Well, and that was before you knew that it won the Palm, right? That's true, it, too. Yeah. Once it won the Palm. And also, too, I want to also remind you, I uh, knew that Neon had picked it up, but 
yes, before it won the Palm, this was also my level of thinking. So now once Neon had it and once it won the Palm, I was thinking, oh, my God. Well, the sky's the limit. Triangle of Sadness <laughs> last year was able to get in the picture, screenplay, director. Here we go. Like, we're off to the races now. So, yeah, at this point, it's funny how the tables have turned. Sandra Huller has main, uh, remained the consistent awards uh, focus for this film where it's like if she's not in the actress lineup at the end of the year – I, I I will I will get violent. I will I will be so angry. Yeah. Like no best actress lineup this year is complete without her performance in this film. Agreed. But no longer contending for international feature anymore. Which does hurt it a little bit, but can also help it because there have been so many movies where a perceived snub by its the film's home country has turned it into a thing. You know, City of God ended up getting four Oscar nominations in outside of international feature. Talk to Her wasn't selected and ended up winning Best Original Screenplay, if I remember correctly. And like, there are numerous examples of this happening. I also think too that this is just like one of the buzziest titles of the year. Yeah. It's a it's a crowd pleaser in the sense that I don't know many people that have walked out of this movie saying that this movie was bad. Yeah, oh, at at TIFF that was like the movie that everyone was it was it was the movie on everyone's lips. Yeah. Like that I talked to when they, I asked them, you know, what have you seen that you like first words out of their mouth, Anatomy of a Fall. Yep, same here. I had people telling me that Anatomy of a Fall was the best movie that they saw at TIFF, period. Yeah. And yet it didn't win the audience award, which is very confusing. Right. But then again, like the TIFF <laughs> audience award tends to favor a movie that actually right. premiered at TIFF usually. Yeah. With that said, though, this is something to pay attention to. You got to pay attention to what people are telling you about this movie. And everyone is telling you that this is one of the best films of the year. It is a Neon release. Now, Neon's got a couple of other titles in contention this year with Origin, Ferrari – but they know how to campaign. And they know how to campaign. Yes. I also think, too, the Academy is just way more international now than it's ever been before. And this is exactly the kind of film that could benefit from that international vote to get in for picture, screenplay, actress. Mm -hmm. And yes, I also think, too, uh, director for Justine Triad. I think that's also very possible and on the table here. Absolutely. And she, she absolutely should be. It would be... As time goes on, it feels like we're getting more and more possibilities for this to be one of the coolest Best Director lineups that we've had in a long time. And I really hope it stays that way. Yeah, that would be a little uh, would be a little scary if, uh, you know, it ended up be becoming a little conventional given the amount of possibilities out there. But I agree with you and her inclusion would certainly make it uh, way more interesting. In terms of like going back to the picture conversation again, no. A lot of people have brought up that even with the films you mentioned, Dan, mm -hmm. that when a film does not select yep. the film, uh, the movie as its uh, international feature submission, yep, that kind of kills its chances then to get in the best picture. But we're also in an age right now where we have a ten, we where we have ten straight nominees, straight now. ten, right? Yeah, and like there is, you know, the argument to be made, like. City of God in a year of 10 absolutely would have gotten into picture. I agree on that statement too. I, I talked to him, talked to her. I probably, but less assured. Yeah. yeah I, I, I kind of lean on the side of yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I lean on the side of yes. I'm a little less sure, but I agree with you on that. So I don't see how this can't be, you know, how this is any different. Yeah, I exactly the same. And if, you know, Neon is the studio that managed to get a best picture win for an international feature with Parasite. So if anyone knows what they're doing, <laughs> it's them. Agreed. And original screenplay is less crowded than adapted screenplay. Well, d- depending on, you know, if the Academy decides to rule Barbie original <laughs> versus adapted. But even still, right, that's three yeah. slots that are taken up by it, past lives, holdovers. You still got two slots available uh, at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think that this movie <laughs> – 1,000% should get into screenplay. Absolutely. Especially, like, there are a lot of movies this year that, like, I did not realize were adapted. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, another one for the adapted screenplay column. God, that's going to be a bloodbath this year. And then, Justine Triette, I, I got to be honest with you. I'm holding out hope for it, but it's like that the director's branch, you just never know. Truly, you never know. And there are so many international slash art house options this year in terms of like big titles, right? It's not just Anatomy of a Fall that is in contention for that. There is the best director prize winner from Cannes, Taste of Things, that is France's selection. And again, once you sit people down in front of it, everyone seems to really love it. And there's also Jonathan Glazer for Zone of Interest that is a really, like, that is a director, like, a lone, almost like a lone director nomination if I've ever heard of it, you know, in yeah. The Waiting. And that's just, like, the tip of the iceberg for these guys. You have Vim Vendors for Perfect Days that people could flock to. or But there are so many international options for them this year in terms of films that have gotten really good buzz and i can tell you all right now despite what so many people want to will into existence with their own predictions and so on and so forth the director's branch never once ever says oh well we need to nominate a woman no they don't or a person of color they never no no they just have the things that they like and the fact is that you you have big like big heavy hitters from inside the Hollywood studio system that are coming up with some of their best work. Like it's really hard to argue against Scorsese, Nolan, etc. You know, getting a nomination in this category yeah. this year, and you know, Yorgos Lanthimos is also big, like art house international energy even though poor things is uh in fully in english it will be an uphill battle for any of these you know art housey people even Celine song for past lives it's an up big uphill battle for greta gerwig for barbie too i mean that doesn't feel like a director's branch movie but everybody seems to love it she's doing q and a's with freaking Todd Field, yeah. I know. <laughs> but this is all to say, though, I don't think it's impossible. And I think that there is still a path for yeah. Justine Triette, especially considering the pacing of this movie, how methodical it is and how it's all carefully laid out. I think that uh, the way it unfolds is so riveting to watch that you can't help but deny – you can't deny the level of skill that goes into that. So 
there is still a path there. Um, I I still, despite what everyone says, like because I saw people say, oh, once it didn't get the inter- uh, international selection, oh, that's it, it's over, its chances are done. I don't think so. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I do not think so. This is this is one of those movies that had it not won the palm, it may have like faded a little bit. But that palm wind helped it stay buzzy for this long. And the more people see it, the more they start talking about it. Because it is a movie that you kind of have to talk about with people after you see it. (laughs) Yeah, I I have thought a lot about that, too. Because I remember being on the ground at Cannes and people going back and forth between this or Zone of Interest for the palm. And that that was the conversation. Like, before it was announced, everybody thought Zone of Interest was going to win the palm door. Looking back on it, seeing how everything has unfolded since then, this movie needed to win the Palm to stay more in the conversation. And I agree that if it had been reversed and it hadn't won, I think it would be fighting an even more uphill battle to maintain uh, some level of buzz and contention within this award season race. But that Palm win gave it the credibility to basically catapult it into the awards conversation. And it stayed there ever since. I think it's going to continue to stay there. I think BAFTA is going to show up for this movie. Oh, yeah. I think Critics' Choice will uh, go to BAFTA for this movie. You know, Sandra Huller, I, I mean, I don't think because she's not a SAG member, I don't think she'll get a SAG nomination for it, but I don't think she needs it. No, I mean, like, if ever a performance is, like, going to win LAFCA and, and NYFCC – as like a part of a body of work prize, it's this one because she's also great in the zone of interest. That's the other thing too that we haven't mentioned. She's also in the zone <laughs> of interest and that also helps her case to say like, this is the year to recognize Sandra Huller. Yeah, and she could very easily, frankly, get a double nomination. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see what ends up happening in the end. Yep, we will. So for now, uh, Dan Bear, where can they find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film, and you can find me on Letterboxd and Post at Dance and Dan. And you can find me on all of the social media networks at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Anatomy of a Fall here on the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.